This is the Movie Hall of Fame, and we are back from Toronto, Canada, across the table from me, Adam Hall, and on the other line, Nick Evangelista, our first film festival, guys. We've returned from TIFF 2023, and it was a bachelor party for the ages. We're alive. We just had an incredible fucking time. It was it was just the best. Oh my god! It was awesome. What a great time we had. Great little city. Highly recommend. Yeah. <laughs> Toronto's pretty sick. <laughs> so we got uh, stories uh, from the trip itself, which was fun on its own. But then, of course, this is a movie podcast, and we went to a film festival, a pretty big film festival, yep. and saw lots and lots and lots of movies. And so we're going to talk about each of those movies, too. <laughs> Maybe give you a little Oscar preview, because there's going to be some movies in the Oscar mix, I'm sure. Sure. And uh, brag about how we got to see all these movies before all of you plebeians. That was a cool. F- I realized, <laughs> like, oh my god, no one has seen any of these movies yet, except yeah. for me. Right? It was the coolest thing. Yeah, Nico, you saw eleven films. I think the final count was ten for me. I only missed the Nickelback doc. We both saw ten. You and I. You guys both saw ten. I saw nine. Yeah, and I think there were so eleven movies total. I think yeah. between the three of us. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I, I missed Quiz Lady. Yeah, you missed Quiz Lady. I missed Paul Simon and The Holdovers. And Nico missed Nickelback. Love to hate Nickelback. Which, by the sound of it, was a if I was going to miss one. You didn't need to see it. It was fine. It was fine. It was fine. Yeah, f- fun and a very entertaining, but like, you know, maybe a little too kind to Nickelback is what I would say. Puff PC. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, it was mostly Nickelback is awesome. You know what, though? Fuck that, though. Because the critical side of Nickelback is bullshit anyways. It's just, there's no teeth to any of the claims. There was a period of time where everybody said, fuck Nickelback. But if you asked anybody to express why, not a single person could give you a real, actual, eloquently thought out reason. Other than just like, oh, all their stuff sounds the same. Like, there's a trillion bands like that, and we don't have a problem with them. Or their stuff is just generic. A trillion bands like that. Green Day, beloved, more generic than Nickelback by a million degree. Like, uh, I don't know if that's true. Know. But yeah, no, I think I, we were talking about it in Toronto, think- though. Like, the Ramones became like rock and roll legends doing every single song in the same time measure. Like, literally everything. Yeah. It's That's the their entire exact discography. Like the metronome has not been adjusted at all. It is the yeah, exact same rhythm, really the exact same melody on basically all of their songs. And they changed rock and roll music. To they it. were unique for their time in a way that I don't think Nickelback was. I'm not but, comparing but, them to but, the but Ramones, but the but idea the, of like genericism being the, the criticism. Yeah. 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 I also think a lot of the criticism of Nickelback was like in retrospect because the hate for Nickelback didn't arrive until, what, 10 years after their success? Kind of became a meme. Kind of, yeah, yeah, in a way, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now we're another 10 years later since the hate, and we've kind of come full circle. The documentary didn't convince me that they were great. It just said, like, okay, just it just told me to, you know, not, not so much me, because I, I don't give a shit about Nickelback. I'm just very in the middle on them. That's Canada's problem. Yeah, exactly. Not our, not our spot. Yeah, it's not our battle to pick. Exactly. Yeah. It, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it was just, I'm calling it a puff piece is maybe a little exaggerated. It was just very nice. I wouldn't call just it. Just, like, lighten up. Yeah, basically. Just chill the fuck out, yeah. Right. But it's not like high class documentary filmmaking. It's not in Restless Dreams. Sure. Okay. Which we'll, we'll get to in a bit. Um, yeah. No, I feel like this happens with movies all the time. It might actually happen with movies more than it happens with music. Like Ishtar is a movie we talked about this year became shorthand for a certain kind of like bad 
star-driven vanity project. And then you watch it now, and it's like, maybe you don't like it, but it's not the worst movie you've ever no. seen. And its reputation kind of precedes it because it became this, like, shorthand for awful. And I think Nickelback is a similar thing, where, like... There's a million movies just like Ishtar, and there's a million bands just like Nickelback. Mm-hmm. You know, there's The Fray, there's Everclear, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, I think we were listing all of those, like, 2000s adult alternative garbage that literally all sounded the same. And for some reason, Nickelback became the poster child for that. Yep. So anybody who's defending Nickelback in this movie is doing it in the same way that people defend, like, Michael Jordan. They're just, like, they're listing all of, like, the accolades, like, whatever, many trophies, whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. How many, Nick? Take a guess. That's, how many championships in Michael Jordan? That's the stuff that, that I don't is, have a fucking clue. Oh my god! But that's the stuff that's like <laughs> that's the that's the least interesting. As soon as they started making points like that with Ryan Reynolds dressed up as Deadpool, talking about the accolades right. that Nickelback has won, as if a Grammy means anything. Ryan Reynolds is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he is. Oh fuck! Thank God I missed that. <laughs> but I, I just want to point out the reason that Nickelback became the poster child for this undeservedly is because they also got all of those accolades probably undeservedly right yes they should have always just been right in the middle so that pendulum just swung way too far and it had to come back just as hard right yeah and i agree i think that the documentary at the very least does a fair job at doing the calm down guys it's time to just like chill out over nickelback it's not it's they're not worth this i guess (laughs) is maybe my biggest takeaway kind of a weird message for a documentary though to be like hey you they're fine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not exactly. the message. The impression that I got just hearing what you guys were saying about this documentary and reading reviews online was like, this is the only festival this documentary would have qualified for. <laughs> because it is very Canada. Like, And we actually walked down Festival Street, which is the, the main, there's like three... There's there's two actual like theatrical theaters where like they have plays or whatever, and then there's the TIFF light box, and on the sidewalk is the Canadian Walk of Fame. Yep, which uh, not as much pomp and circumstance as the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Some stars were cracked, which is unfortunate. A few, <laughs> quite a few, as a matter of fact. And there were, you know, uh, Alanis Morissette, Alex Trebek. Stars, Gosling, uh, I saw. Yeah, uh, there were a, a bunch of you know those, and and Nickelback Jim was on Carey, there as well. Nickelback, yeah, yeah, J- Jim Carrey was there, and Nickelback actually they were there the weekend before we got there. That was the other thing. Uh, we saw a number of very good movies, and I'm very happy with the selections. I think for the most part we did a pretty good job. <laughs> we did not go to the first weekend of TIFF, and the opening weekend is when all of the stars were there, all of the big movies at least most of the big movies were playing. Uh, we didn't get to see Anatomy of a Fall, for example, the Palme d'Or winner. We didn't get to see Zone of Interest, the Jonathan Glazer movie. And Nickelback apparently was there on Festival Street in that little park mm. oh, earlier in the week. Okay. doing. So I think it was more of a, similar to what Sly did, he brought the Stallone documentary for the second weekend. I think that's what Nickelback was kind of doing in the first weekend. This is more of a meet and greet Nickelback concert it's not really like a Oscar contender documentary premiering here. No, and and that's why I didn't mind it. I kind of we, we both knew Nick and I both knew exactly what it was. It's just very kind of like yeah. fun, entertaining, relatively disposable documentary fare that you might just throw on on a Saturday if you got nothing to do. Yeah, it's fine. You know, whatever. I mean, not the worst thing I saw at TIFF. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we'll, so. we'll talk about the worst thing we saw at TIFF. I can't wait. 
<laughs> the Red Sox? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, that, by the way, great stadium. Yeah, so uh, the apartment that we rented out for the... How, how long were we there? Four nights? Five nights? I think four nights. Four nights, five days? Yeah. It wasn't an Airbnb. It wasn't like... It was an apartment. It was an apartment, but like I'm not sure who exactly we rented it from. Well, that's the thing. It does isn't it? What what the Steve found some sort of dark web website or whatever. To, like, I just didn't understand how it worked. Like it's an apartment, but it's not an apartment. Like well, and they had people working at the front desk, but they're like, oh, we're not affiliated with the apartment. What the fuck? Yeah, it was like anything that happens in there is not our fucking problem. Like we don't ask any questions. You know, I will say this: th- this they just have like Russian women scantily clad walking in and out of that apartment all day this apartment was free this felt like i was in like a fucking hellraiser movie with the amount of like labyrinths that this thing was throwing at us it was a crazy maze it was nuts (laughs) all right let's set the scene actually a little further i'll set the scene for myself and then you guys can chime in when you want but i had another bachelor party the weekend before this so i was in cape cod for four nights Mm. And then that Monday, I came back home sleep-deprived. Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles four plays into the Jets-Bills game. It happens. Happens to the best of us, right? (laughs) I'm depressed. (laughs) Like, I got no sleep that night. Like, I, like, was tossing and turning. I woke up in a panic. I, I cried a couple times. Like, it was bad. It was a tough scene. Really bad. But then it's like it's time to go to Toronto the next day. <laughs> Buck up and just go. It's going to be okay. So we leave, what, at one in the morning? Two in the morning? Two in the morning. Yeah, you show up on my doorstep. You did not sleep. No, I stayed up playing Resident Evil 4. You Right, good choice. <laughs> you pull an all-nighter. <laughs> it was we, fine. We drive all night. You get about a half hour of sleep on the way? If that, yeah. If that. I didn't sleep. And we pull right into Toronto and we go right to the airport to pick Nick up. And at, at this point, like, you did not meet up with us at our best, Nick. No. <laughs> Let's just say that. I felt bad. I'm like, I haven't seen Nick in a while. And I'm just like, hey, what's up, bro? You guys seem like you're in a great mood. You're having a great time. <laughs> really? He's nodding off. And meanwhile, I'm getting a little snippy because, again, my franchise quarterback tore his Achilles 24 hours earlier. And I'm in a bad mood and sleep deprived and I'm snapping it at him already. And it is, it is starting fucking early for us. It is. Love it. We're getting right. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, We picked it up from the airport. We go to the apartment. The apartment is like two blocks away from the festival. So we're like right in the fucking action. The Rogers Center where the Blue Jays play is across the street. Like the apartment literally overlooks it. And then the the little Space Needle thing in Toronto. (laughs) The little Space Needle thing as if it's not really fucking big. It's a Space Needle wannabe. (laughs) Poor man's Space Needle. (laughs) I see. Poor man's Space Needle. The CN Tower is what they call it. Yes. We can't get in. Because your friend, who I've yet to meet, Steve, yes, who I, I will soon become very well acquainted with, mm-hmm. was three hours behind. <laughs> it's not his fault. Getting on a connecting flight. It's the flight's fault, isn't it? Sure, it's the flight's fault. Steve could have absolutely put anybody else's name on the room in addition to his own. And I'm thinking to myself, what fucking hole in the middle of Harwinton did you dig this guy up from? He's from Burlington. He's from Burlington, Connecticut, not Harwinton. Nevertheless, he was not in Toronto, Canada that no, day. No, he was not. 
He was on a flight from Philadelphia. And so now that left us <laughs> to wander the streets for like two and a half hours, right? That being said, though, uh, it, you know, it, it seems dreadful, right? But I think we see the first glimmer of hope in the form of an A&W restaurant. Oh, right. Yeah. I did want to get to this. This is the first, this directly after, chronologically. Let's go. That's right. There We're we like, go. we need lunch. We yes. have any, and we stumble upon A&W. Not the root beer. Yes, the root beer. <laughs> but a restaurant, a physical embodiment of the root beer. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. Sure. And they're like, what do they sell here? Root beer? It's just root beer flavored stuff. Nah, it's a burger joint. Wait, wait, wait. You were wondering what they sold? <laughs> I knew I knew what they sold. <laughs> I knew it was a burger restaurant. So it's a burger joint. We're like, all right, we'll settle for this. I mean, I I'm feeling some McDonald's right about now, but it's all right. We'll go with this A and W. And, you know, I order some fries or whatever. Because hey, Toronto's known for poutine. Yes. And I think, Nick, you got it a couple times this weekend. Right? Yes, he did. Oh yeah. yeah. I had probably four different times. I got poutine. Ooh. Right. And I'm like, all right, what's what? So I, I order these fries and like, they come out like fucking that, like it's immediate. You know, that stupid movie, uh, the founder. Yeah. It, it was like that with the first time that Michael Keaton's character orders McDonald's. Sure. He orders it pays and then they just hand it to him. They it, just, right. That's what happened. It was crazy. And I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, they got cold fries just sitting there. And I got like, and we sit down and I, and what did I say after I took, I think maybe three or four bites of fries. We noted the time 1208 PM. It's a big deal. <laughs> and you went, I'm calling it best fries I've ever had. Unbelievable <laughs> fucking fries. Number one. Just uh, Nico, correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't have McDonald's a single day in Toronto. Did I didn't, you? I didn't. Incredible. I got a and W so many fucking times. <laughs> Here, here's how I knew. Here's how I knew how good these fries were. Like he, it's just a look. I, 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 because I, I was in the bathroom and I came back and I'm like, "What's going on?" And you're just like transfixed on these fries. You just look at me and 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 hand them my way, and I'm like, "Oh, these are some good fries." I, like, <laughs> I, can, I can see in Nico's eyes, these are some good fries. <laughs> crispiness, perfect. Thickness, perfect. Salt content, out of this world. Uh, consistency, guys. I'm telling you, I got these fries at ten in the morning. I got these fries at one in the morning. <laughs> I got him at, at lunch yeah. hour, dinner hour, breakfast, because the thing was open 24 hours. Yep. Multiple times a day. Your friends were a little shocked how many times I went to A&W. It brought them back to the apartment. It's, it's, it's weird. I've told them about you <laughs> many a times, the stories of Nico DiGregorio, and they're like, huh? What? No way. No way. Uh, and I got him all hours of the day. They tasted the same every fucking time, and it was fast. Mm-hmm. You know, here it's like Wendy's made such a big deal about their hot and crispy promotion, like a, a, like money back if they're not hot and crispy. And I still go to Wendy's and there's not always hot and crispy. This was the perfect salt ratio, perfect hardness, soft on the inside, flavorful. You can tell the potatoes didn't have a million fucking preservatives in them. Mm-hmm. Like you could tell they were grown in Canada. <laughs> There's no GMOs. It's not going to like give me a third leg or whatever. Like it was amazing. It was like incredible fries. And I had some pretty good fries all week at the various bars and shit we went to. Oh yeah. yeah me too. This was number one. And I'm telling you number one all time. It is, it is by far and away the best fry I ever had. You have lots of hot takes, Nico. And yeah. sometimes I need to take, I feel like no pun intended, but I need to take them with a grain of salt. Sure. But no, you're right. Unbelievable fries. These were incredible. Yeah. I have to agree. That's the most important review you're going to get on this entire pod. Yeah. 
<laughs> what, not the review for Daddy-O? Nope. <laughs> you don't need to know anything about American fiction. Okay. Just know that A&W fries are the best fries that not only did I have in Toronto, but I've had in my entire life. I like to stress, by the way, like all the food was good. It's not true. I love the food. No, I love the uh, food. <laughs> I remember one Mexican not place. True. Not going to say the name of it, but. I'm not going to say the name of it because I don't remember it, but I do know it was across the street from the Bell Light. <laughs> ah, <laughs> yes. Yes, um, yes, yes. I, I, I wiped that from my memory. Yes, one bad place. Okay, I, I concede. One bad place, but everywhere your else. Your brother felt so guilty because the two restaurants he picked were the worst two restaurants he went to <laughs> the entire week. And he was like, he's like, I'm done picking restaurants. <laughs> I had that drink that fucking um, Jake Gyllenhaal has in Zodiac. It was delicious. It was delicious. The blue aqua velva thing. Oh sure, it was fucking tasty. I got to I got to give this to Canada too. Maybe I'm just not good at the math and like converting U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars, but I felt like I got some good bang for my buck in terms of drinks. Yes. Yeah. Again, probably I'm bad at the math, and I probably got ripped off. <laughs> I like I got some healthy fucking portions, big ass pours, no foam. I gotta give them credit. Gotta give them credit. I know I did not know Toronto. I mean, I guess, listen, you go to any downtown area of a city, you're going to get good restaurants. But, like, I did not know Toronto had such a good food reputation. Mm -hmm. Also, by the way, just in regards to the city, um, doesn't smell. No. Not so populated that you're constantly bumping into people, unless Trudeau's there, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a two-cent story. Yeah, I'll leave that. We can tell the story here, no? I mean, yeah, I you guys know. are going to blow the gas. I know you want to tell it on two cents. It's okay. Well, I think you just told it. We ran it to Trudeau. I guess there's your teaser for yeah, two well, cents. There you go, yeah. <laughs> we ran it to Trudeau. <laughs> I mean, the most Canadian-ass fucking weekend of all time. We saw a Nickelback documentary and ran into Justin Trudeau. We didn't see ho any hockey games. No, but we did watch the Blue Jays destroy the Red Sox. They like, really utterly destroy. Them. Right, and we were like for the queen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the king now, actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah, for the, the king. king now. Queen is still on the money, though. I, I am a big fan of Canadian dollars. Canadian dollars are like pieces of fucking plastic. If I'm cr criticizing anything, I'm like, this is not real money. It's like transparent. It, it's like, what is this? It, yeah, it looks like like yeah, shaving, monopoly money. It really does. It looks like like shavings of like a Coke bottle. <laughs> that's that's what it is. It feels weird. It looks weird. It's like bright blue and bright pink and bright yellow. It's weird as fuck. Sorry, Canadians, but like not a yeah. fan of the money. I, I like the money. <laughs> There's a reason the dollar is king, and it's not has nothing to do with economics. Right. It is because it's that nice green bill. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, that looks like it was around like like hundred dollar bills from when Benjamin Franklin was alive, where they like right. drew his sketch on the front of it. Like that's how old. Hundred percent. Exactly. No, 100%. I listen. I did like a drug deal kind of on the corner with with uh, fucking uh, Dick's the musical tickets. Oh yeah. And yeah, you know, the lady handed me some Canadian money, and I'm like, hell yeah, this feels good. That was always something I enjoyed about being abroad, though. Is, is, as soon as you pulled out American dollars, everyone freaked out. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was just a dollar or $10 or, of course, $100. It was the same reaction every single time. Can we talk about how we're driving up? You called your fucking banker like he was your You barber. love this story so much. Guys, we've talked about one movie. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about the whole experience. 
I got shit to do today. We talked about one movie. (laughs) Adam has his banker on speed dial. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) Didn't know Adam could actually do that. No, it's like fucking Warren Buffett has his banker on speed dial. Like they have like a whole wing of the bank just working on your finances. Well, he answers the phone. He's like, yeah, you know, says the name of the bank. And I'm just like, hey, Rob, how you doing? He's like, oh, Adam, what's going on? I was like amazed. Like it was the most baller thing I've ever seen Adam do. Not that that's a high bar to clear, but like it's crazy. Anyway, that was whatever. Um, So, uh, yeah. So anyway, quick power nap. We meet up with Steve who lets us in the labyrinth fucking shining hotel or whatever. And then we head right to (laughs) evil does not exist. Oh, this was so fun. Thinking back to this, I'm like, why was this? Of course, this is the first movie we did. Oh my God. Ryosuke Hamaguchi's follow up to drive my car. The, Japanese slow burn about environmentalism. And when I say slow burn, I mean it. <laughs> you ain't seen a slow burn like this. Yeah. <laughs> There's uh, that, I don't know, two minute long opening title card of just a camera pointed up moving under trees reminded me a lot of the only bit of first cow that I've seen, which is the opening crawl of the oh my god that's the right. boat yeah it's kind of like kelly reichardt on steroids and by that i mean like no roid rage the opposite of roid rage. if like steroids mellowed you out like that's what this is it's like even slower than kelly reichardt movies mm-hmm. it does like terrence malicky shots of nature yes I, I thought of the new world when i saw those shots of the trees i mean i, I thought of uh miller's crossing Okay, there you go. Yes, sure. Just, you know, barren tree branches, shots through, you know, poking through at the sky. And you get that whole shot for what, like a good minute? It's one of those moments where you're you're sitting with the shot for 20 seconds. And then you're like, oh, this is going to go on, isn't it? All right. It's that kind of movie. It's a great way of like preparing you for what the movie actually is, though. Honestly, it's a crazy decision, but I'm like, all right, I know what I'm in for. And And the score is pounding. It is like overbearing, gorgeous, but like Mm -hmm. it's smacking you in the face as you have these static shots. I mean, it was spoken in my native tongue. Which is nice. Yes, yeah, that yeah, is true. Sure, that right. is true. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes forget. I was like hearing hearing the language of the motherland. So, <laughs> of the motherland. No, it, but it, that that opening crawl was rough. I will admit, but the the score was great, which kind of made up for it a little bit. And then uh, it finally cuts away from the trees, and it shows something else, and then it cuts right back to the trees for the same length of time again. Yes. No, that's the thing. It's it shows you the title card, and it's like, okay, now we're moving on. And then we go, right, we go back and (laughs) right back to the start. (laughs) It's bordering on kind of like a MoMA exhibit at times. It almost feels like this is something you would see at the Met, you know, with that score. And it's more just like music and a a tone poem. You know, it feels kind of like that at times. Yeah, I think I said when we were walking out, it has that sort of Jean Dillman effect of just really testing you and testing your patience. And not much is really happening in the whole movie hinges on the ending, basically. That's the thing. The ending is an absolute knockout. Mm -hmm. It's really good. And it's the thing that the movie leaves you with. So, like, you're going to grade the movie on a curve just based on that. Yep. I did like it a lot, although I acknowledge that it's challenging and I'm not sure like it's a big rewatchable or whatever. No, no, absolutely. I think it's hilarious that Hamaguchi decided to make this after Drive My Car, which is like a masterpiece. Yeah, this big, but also like an Oscar movie with crossover appeal and like 
great movie. I'm just going to follow it up with this like really slow, meditative, environmental thing. You know, I'm used to certain things out of Japanese filmmakers that I didn't get here. So even then, the movie really threw me off balance just by the style alone. It's very unusual. And like like you said, even for what I know about Ryosuke Hamaguchi from Drive My Car, this was just such a weird, totally different swing. I appreciate that. I do, but you're right. And that's like, I don't see myself watching it anytime soon, but it does leave sort of a profound impact nonetheless. Lots of shots of chopping wood, lots of shots of rivers. And um, there was some sick camera work in this movie. Oh yeah. He straps the camera to the back of a car. And so like Mm -hmm. the whole scene where the guy's driving instead of like, you know, watching the car zoom by or being in the passenger seat, you're just looking out the back of the car and just following the path it's taken. Sure. And all of the people that it's leaving behind. It's like you're yeah. right. You're you're one step behind the hero in that scene. Yeah. yeah, it's sick. If you're patient and you're like it's got one of the craziest endings. It's a sick ending. And it's really like abstract. But it's also it, crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little surreal and yeah. expressionist too, which is it's an awesome like release. Like David Lynch does that a lot too. It's not really like Lynchian in its style or whatever, but like Lynch movies often it just stays here at this plateau and then there's this like sudden release at the end and that's what this movie kind of does like it's just a slow 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 burn and it's like where is this going where is this going and it's worth the payoff yeah and along the way too like there's some good like procedural stuff there's a lot about like capitalism that like consumes a a small ecosystem and how the gears turn and how the sausage is made like on a governmental level. That's good. But again, like it's very like slow and procedural. Um, But then, yeah, once you get to the end, it's like, Oh yeah, there it is. That's what this movie is about. Yeah. I was going to say the movie's premise, like you'll read it on IMDb. It's not really what the movie's about. The movie doesn't tell you what it's about really until the very end. Uh, Yeah. So that's that movie. And then Nick and I sprint across town to see Quiz Lady, which is this movie starring Aquafina and Sandra O, oh, along with like Will Ferrell and Jason Schwartzman and people like that. And it's a Hulu movie, so there was not as much representation from the cast. Obviously, the, the writer strikes and the actor strikes are still going on. The writer strike just resolved yesterday, right? But yeah. the uh, the actors are still on strike. And so some of the actors got waivers to be there because they were working on independent projects. Others did not. So like this movie that Disney financed or whatever was uh, just the director, uh, TV director by the name of Jessica Yu showed up to do a Q&A afterwards. And Nick and I really liked this movie, didn't we? It's a comedy without an agenda, a crowd pleaser. I don't know. I haven't seen a movie that's made me laugh this much in a while. I'm almost thinking like the Lego movie too, kind of. I don't know if it's just the Will Ferrell connection there. Well, I think in both movies, he's playing like a man behind the curtain. He's been doing that lately. Unexpected role. Yeah. Well, Barbie too. Yeah, right. Barbie Barbie does the same thing. But it's kind of, it subverts that trope a little bit in this movie. Uh, It's, I think it's a really good, easy to recommend to anybody crowd pleasing comedy. Yeah, it's it's coming to Hulu on November 3rd, so that's where it belongs. It's it's not like a, you don't have to right. see this on the big screen or whatever. Although I'm happy we did get to see it with a crowd. Yeah. I don't know where the premise came from. It's a sisters movie, so I imagine there's some autobiographical stuff with the script. But the movie's kind of like what if we had Will Ferrell do the celebrity Jeopardy thing 
for an entire movie. Oh. Because he's cast as kind of like the Alex Trebek game show host. The premise is that uh, this uh, young woman played by Aquafina is obsessed with this game show that Will Ferrell hosts. It's a fictional game show that's basically exactly like Jeopardy. And she watches it every night and she's a real trivia nerd. Um, not like anyone I know. And, <laughs> um, and one day like her mom falls into gambling debt with this bookie. And so she needs to get on this game show and win the money to pay him off. And Sandra O oh plays the older sister who is a, a bit of a loose cannon. She's the one who dyes her hair and gets tattoos and left to California to seek her dreams kind of thing. Sure. And the other girl is quiet, works in an office, wears the sweatpants, that kind of. Right. So I will say that's great casting because I could see a lesser director flipping that. And putting Aquafine in the loose cannon role and Sandra Oh in the, you know, the kind of reserved. I, I, I said exactly that to Nico. I said, if, if you didn't know any better going into it, you would have probably thought Aquafina was the one who was cast as that sort of loose cannon character. Yeah. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Bingo. And they, yeah. So I think casting Aquafina as the straight man is probably the smartest thing that they do in this movie because Sandra Oh goes big and is not annoying when she goes big. Does Aquafina have to go a little bigger towards the end? Um... I mean, she does, I don't know, like, she, she still does a lot of the half stuff, but, like, not, no, she is not asked to do as much as Sandra Oh is okay. in this movie. Most of the go big stuff is more situational and less. All right, I see, I see. It's more, it's more what's happening around her than her herself. She's a pure straight man, yeah. She is the straight man in yeah. the movie. Interesting, okay, awesome. There, there's one sequence where she is tripping on something. I forget what drug she's on. That is quite funny, uh, and she's very good in it. Um yeah, no, it's just a solid fucking studio comedy, and you don't get many of those these days, and it's not going to blow you away, but it is going to make you laugh. We do have some other comedies, though, coming up that might blow you away. Certainly. Yeah. And uh, there is a cameo that I will not spoil at the end of this movie, but it is pretty remarkable. You will never in your fucking life, you will never guess. Right. <laughs> but it's incredible. And the audience went absolutely insane when this happened, uh, but it's good. Okay. It's really good. So check out. I'm not issuing a challenge to you, Adam. I promise you, you would never guess it. Ken (laughs) Jennings. No, no game. No, not a game show person. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Kind of Nico the movie, this movie. Let's be honest. (laughs) That's what we're trying to say. It had game shows. It had gambling. I mean, it really had it all. It did. It really had it all. I do like a Nico the movie movie. And one of my favorite movies of, was it last year? Um, um, God, well, now I'm forgetting the name of the movie with Adam Sandler. The basketball movie. Hustle. Hustle, which is fucking loved Hustle. Adam Sandler's been making some Nico-ass movies lately. <laughs> he sure has. He loves you. Been working overtime to please me. <laughs> and I salute the Sandman. <laughs> that night we went to bed a little early. Uh, then we get up, I think maybe noon or one or something. This is when Steve went on the ferry trip. To him and Dom, because Dom finally came. Oh, uh, right. Here's your other buddy strolls in. That's right. From another uh, another backwoods in fucking Harwinson. Did you like how we got we got introduced to a new friend every day? We got introduced to a new friend every day. <laughs> a new, new side of Adam every day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it was a real like act one, act two, act three yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> the bosses kept escalating as it went along. Yeah, so they, they went on their ferry trip or whatever, and we went to go see... Vigo Mortensen's second directorial feature, The Dead Don't Hurt. Mm-hmm. Another slow burn. 
this time a Western. Not as slow as <laughs> Evil Does Not Exist, but yeah. its own sort of, you know, careful, meditative character piece that's also a Western that I actually, the more it sat with me, the more I really, really, really like the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Really good. I dig it a lot. They called it a feminist Western, which I liked because the protagonist is a woman. Played by Vicky Creeps. Vicky Creeps. Yep. And and she does not go out and do Wild West shootouts. She does not go ride her horse and go lasso in animals and shit. She has her own personal silent story, her own war at home, so to speak. She is cast next to Viggo Mortensen, writer, director, all that. And composer of the movie. And composer. Yeah. And also who was there. Mm, yeah. We, we got saw, to see a little Vigo Q&A. We saw Vigo. It was great. After the festival wrapped up, a lot of the consensus from critics or whatever and reporters was like, this was kind of a weaker tiff than usual. Mm -hmm. Michael Mann snubbed them. David Fincher snubbed them. Bradley Cooper with Maestro didn't come. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Oscar movies that you think might be in play were not there. There were a lot of these like actor turned director efforts. Yeah. Michael Keaton had a movie there. Chris Pine had a movie there called Pool Man that apparently was the biggest fucking stinker of the festival. Yeah, everyone hated it. Apparently it was just horrible. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. Uh, yeah, I am kind of interested in seeing it. Um, Anna Kendrick had a movie there about the dating game killer. And we only got to see one of these. Mm -hmm. And I am happy that we only saw one because I think we did pick the best one. I think we lucked out. I mean, Vigo was of all the actors you could have gotten was maybe the most humble of yes. them all. Didn't even seem terribly concerned. I mean, with like selling the movie, he just <laughs> wanted to be there to show it. He's like, yeah. I just like movies and I would love it if you guys watched it with me. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. We had to leave early for the Q and A and it was a little awkward. Yeah. We walked out on Vigo. We had to though, because we had another movie to make and we barely made it on time as it was. Yeah. I left my cardigan in there and I got to go back in and, and see the guy. Yeah. You walked out, walked back in and walked out again on Vigo. I did that twice. I walked out on Vigo twice, guys. <laughs> Put that on your resume. I've <laughs> walked out on Vigo Mortensen <laughs> twice. Yeah. If I, if I were to say anything about the movie, it is a bit slow. Although there are some pretty harrowing sequences in there. There yes. is a rape scene that is tough to watch. Mm -hmm. mm. I don't want to spoil the movie too much, but that is kind of the central thrust of it is that there is a, a sexual assault and yes. things spiral out of control from there. And although it's not going to like blow you away in terms of like reinventing the wheel, it is no. like a pretty good subversion of some Western tropes. I think the guy's got something. It, didn't it feel way more real than most Westerns do, though? Yes. I mean, the f the feminist angle, I think, is actually quite valid. I actually thought it added a level of freshness to, you know, this setting and this type of genre. I certainly love what it does to Vigo, who is, you know, in essence, kind of the Western archetype. And what she turns him into by the end of the movie is actually quite endearing and yeah it, it, it it's really her movie is the thing and yeah i didn't know that going into it but once i realized that when vigo literally goes away for most of the movie yeah and and just kind of dealing with her very real not like you said before not action-packed at all kind of just dealing with life in this landscape story well i mean the movie oh this is not really a spoiler because it's the first scene of the movie but it opens up with her dead yeah, yeah. it opens up with her dead on, and then we flash back and it 
Yeah. Uh, then by the end credits, you see Vicky Crapes is top build, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. That's I right. did not know this is the movie we were in for. Exactly. Movie's fucking sick is what we're trying to say. It's kind of a beautiful movie. It's really nice. Yeah, it's I like really the, lovely. Yeah, I think, yeah. I just want to put this out there now. Like, I don't think I really actively disliked any of the movies we saw. I mean, uh, one of them was clearly the worst, but it was still entertaining. <laughs> well... <laughs> I was laughing. Maybe not for the reasons the director intended necessarily, but it was still entertaining. Like, I had a good time. We leave Vigo early, who's engaged in a pretty lengthy (sighs) Q&A, to rush over to the Tiff Bell Lightbox, which, just saying this too, if you've never been to Toronto, even if you don't go during Tiff, if you just go to Toronto, see a fucking movie at the Lightbox, which is the Mecca, uh, it, it, to me at least, in my very short movie-going lifetime, it's the best place in the world to see movies. It is a stunning cinema. It is like a mausoleum built in the honor of like film. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. The whole arrangement of it, it feels like a museum on your way up to the theater. And the seats and the way it's laid out and where the screen is relative to it all, it is thought out every inch. Mm-hmm. And yes. it is not thought out for how do we fit the most butts in this theater to sell tickets? It's how do we make every single person have the best movie experience possible? Sure. It is really a stunning theater. And not by like giving you like sticky recliners or whatever that no. the popcorn butter is going to stick to and like it, not in an AMC way. It's comfortable while still being like classy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have enough leg room and you have enough arm room, but you're not in those like recliners. And as you said, like every seat in the house is a good seat to watch the movie. Yes. There's an ideal location, but like we were sitting, you know, underneath the middle aisle or whatever. We were sitting in the front, which is normally an impossible place to watch movies from in any other theater. Yeah, no, I was going to say it was one of the few times where sitting in the front didn't bother me at all. And I actually like the fact that they didn't give us the recliners. Yeah. Now I and recliners are nice and everything, but it's like a nice excuse to fall asleep. So we saw Daddio, which stars Dakota Johnson and Sean Penn. And just them. Yes. Uh, as And I'm looking on the IMDb right now as Gurley and Clark. Okay, Gurley. <laughs> Should they get a name? No, I guess not. Uh, uh, okay, so this writer-director Christy Hall is making her directorial debut, big screen debut. Mm-hmm. And she's a playwright. And she has not done much. She doesn't have many credits to her name, mostly just like off-Broadway stuff in New York. And she comes out to introduce the movie, and then she does Q&A afterwards. And like right away, I think we're all a bit off-put. By her? Yeah, is that too strong a word? I Well, listen, we all know when someone's trying to sell us something. Yeah. it, It was very obvious that she wanted you to feel a, a very like she, trying to cater the movie to us prior to watching it, trying to prep us for laughter. That was a big point. It's like, I didn't quite understand what she was saying at first. I thought, oh, okay, it's going to be more lighthearted, I guess. And then when I saw the movie, I know why she was trying to prep us for laughter because she'd probably screened this movie <laughs> a yeah. couple of times before and did not get the response that she wanted. Yes. <laughs> she comes out and she's like, this is the movie that I made about talking to each other. It's a movie about talking, you know? The film is literally about stabbing. <laughs> it's a movie about talking. Yes. Oh my God, I hated this. This movie. is my love letter to the cab driver, to the New York City cab driver. 
And I'm like, all right, you're laying it on a bit thick. And you can tell, like, you wrote this speech ahead of time and you rehearsed it in your head. And this is your first film festival. I get it. Like, you're trying to sell your movie. Like, you're you're, you're meeting all, with all these important people at all these fancy-ass restaurants that we couldn't get into. Um, she probably had an element of imposter syndrome here. Definitely. I mean, oh, certainly, certainly, yeah. I cannot blame her or criticize her for it. It's just, it's hard because everybody could easily read the room. You don't start off by saying this is an important movie either. Which she didn't say that, but I, she might as well. Have. Yeah, no, yes, exactly. Yeah, right. it, it was enough. Right. <laughs> and I was I was tapping Nico throughout throughout the fucking stuff that was happening in this movie. I'm like, hey Nico, it's an important movie. This is a movie about talking to each other. <laughs> We've forgotten how to do that, you know. It's a movie about people. Yeah. It's a movie about people. Yeah, again, it's, I'm not trying to make fun of the woman because this is her, you know, and she's done a TV show on Netflix before. But other than that, this is like her first shot at big screen stuff. And she's got big movie stars in the movie and she's doing her damn best. Sure. But like, you're, you were right. She's priming us for what we're about to see. And she's like, just to let you know, it's okay to laugh. This is meant to be a dark comedy. Uh- Really? You know, and <laughs> I'm like, all right, you shouldn't have to tell me that. Like, uh, you know, because like you're not going to be there when this movie theoretically gets a wide release again. Theoretically, I thought the same thing. I'm like, right. why are you telling us this? Yeah, Unless you're Tom Cruise and you get the message in front of Top Gun being like, thank you for supporting yeah. cinema. Yeah. Like you're not going to get a chance to do this every time. And yeah, the movie is a mess. It's just a mess. I would call it very bad. It's a mess. <laughs> I would say it was, I, I mean, so obviously the worst one. It, I mean, it really wasn't even remotely close. No, it's a no contest. No. I'm not sure much about this movie worked aside from maybe little, little snippets of the last like 10 to 15 minutes. I think the movie gets better in its last 20 minutes. Yeah. It takes a long time. Not in the evil does not exist way where no. it's a slow build to a crescendo. Yeah. This is like, you have not figured out how to write this movie until the last 20 minutes. It's almost like I want you to just chop off now the first two thirds of the script and start from where you ended up. It's a short film. Make it a short film. Yeah. There you go. Bingo. Um, the premise is it's a woman played by Coda Johnson, also a producer on the movie. She financed this thing. Got her neighbor. According to the Q and A, Sean Penn oh. to star in it because they had been wanting to make a movie together. Sean Penn plays a cab driver, and they just talk about life on an hour and a half long cab ride from LaGuardia or JFK, I forget, to her home in Manhattan. And yeah, they just they talk and they talk about her specifically. If you're native to the New York area and you're going, what the fuck is taking? An hour and a half to get from JFK to Midtown Manhattan. They do answer this question. They do. They, they do answer the question. They do a better job than Collateral does <laughs> with LA. Where Jamie Foxx explaining all the alternate routes or whatever. Sure. <laughs> Fair. All right. They do a better job. Yeah. Listen, it was a wildly entertaining movie for all of the wrong reasons. It's a it's Absolutely. a mess. It's Absolutely. an entertaining mess. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. It was very fun to laugh at. Way too easy to laugh at. The, too. the dialogue was- is not something that two people have ever said to each other. No. Like never. it just exists on another planet, the way that they're talking. Like, and you know it's bad in the first ten minutes when Sean Pent starts like ranting, like a Shakespearean monologue for ten minutes about apps. How like oh Uber and Lyft are replacing them. All these kids with their apps. And it's like, oh yes, the, the, the generational divide in America. You've really put your finger on the polls here. And then it just proceeds into crude 
sexual innuendo and dialogue. Uh, a dick pic makes a cameo. <laughs> Which we were, I think the crowd basically cheered. <laughs> I've been wondering this whole time, this, this question has been bothering me for like two weeks now. Whose dick was that? It's always my question whenever you see a movie. Like, like in Succession during the dick pic scene there, is that Kieran Culkin's dick? Maybe it was just Sean Penn's dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's an independent production. They didn't have the money to get another actor in. Also, on the way to Toronto, I had to take a cab. Well, I took an Uber. Mm-hmm. The driver who picks me up is, I swear to God, like 96 going on 130. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy, he picks me up. He makes me sit in the back seat because the front seat is reserved for his pool cue. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, all I do all day is I drive Uber in the morning and then I go play pool hall at night. <laughs> what, what a life. <laughs> Hell yeah. What a fucking life. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to drop everything and leave my life behind for that dude's lifestyle, bro. A Cincinnati pool hustler and slash Uber driver. That's the best. That's dude. great. Yeah, he's got the life, dude. But I'll tell you what he didn't complain about was fucking apps. Right. Yeah. Which was confused. Okay, so this is the other thing that was so frustrating to me listening to the dialogue is that like Chrissy Hall was she's not that old. Is she like the dialogue comes off as someone who's like way out of touch, like fucking Romero in Diary of the Dead, like has no idea how to handle like the subject of you know the internet, for example, in that movie. But this was just like you're like our age, basically. Why are you writing it this way? This is ridiculous. You know, she's talking about how it's an ode to the cabbie, but like, bullshit. You've never heard a cabbie actually talk this way. You've heard them curse. I'm sure I've heard plenty of them curse. Not like this, though. This is not a real person. There's no truth here, dude. There's no truth here. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And you can get some cheap laughs from how corny the dialogue is. Yeah. And the dick pics, which, you know, we all were like, when is it coming? When is it coming? When is it coming? And there it is. Um, yeah, the texting, uh, the, like the text bubbles in man, this movie. Man, are the, the texting is something to behold. Something to behold. I hate, I hate, I hate any film that puts texting on the screen, period. Stop doing this. It's bad. Yeah. Stop. In which form? Like, like showing the phone or like the text bubbles? Well, showing the phone is fine, but it's still significantly less interesting than there not being a phone. I'll tell you what, though. If yeah. you show the phone, though, that phone better have the updated iOS on it. Like, I don't want you fucking inventing a texting app whole cloth and in Photoshop yeah, I hate that just to too. put on the phone. Mm-hmm. No, but just, like, find a way. If you're a writer, find a way to put the person in the fucking room with them. Get rid of cell phones. Yeah. They're not interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. yeah. It's, uh, phones have kind of killed movies in general. Yeah, stuff. I mean, and certainly killed, like, the sitcom or whatever. They've killed 90% of plots. Yeah. It's yeah. like, now there's no reason for Elaine and George to just pop into Jerry's apartment. You know, they would text them ahead of time. So yeah, it's not very good. And Sean Penn is trying. That's and Dakota best. Johnson's trying, but Sean Penn is definitely trying really hard. Dakota Johnson is looking, you know, sexy as ever, biting her nails half the time, which is very nice. It's not the worst directorial debut from like a nobody that I've ever seen. Like it's fine for her. You can't judge it next to a movie that's like trying a bunch of other stuff. Like this is a very simple film from a filmmaking point of view. It's all script and it's all written as a play initially. Yeah, written and done yeah. on a sound stage. Well, again, like it felt like a stage play. Yeah. The elements of filmmaking were an afterthought. That's just the reality. Filmmaking yeah. was an afterthought to this movie because it wasn't meant to be a film. Yeah. My fault. My fault. My bad. I picked most of these movies. This one was a bit of a, you know, I wanted to see Dakota Johnson. Oh. You had fun. You, yeah, 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 it was great. It's like, yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was great for what you wanted. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> delivered on that. Yes. Uh, okay. right. Which, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. Yes. Um, did not end up being the sexiest performance that we saw, by the way. Which no. I, I, no. I, I thought Dakota no. Johnson was going to be it. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Yeah, you we'll were. get we'll get there. <laughs> that evening, we went to the Prince of Wales Theater. Is that right? And we saw a little movie called Princess. American. Fiction, yes, princess. <laughs> Sorry. Princess of Wales. Princess of Wales. American Fiction, another directorial debut, man by the name of Cord Jefferson, uh-huh. wrote and directed this thing. He was a succession writer. He's in the succession writer's room and has also worked on stuff like The Good Place and a number of television shows that I'm sure you love. And this little movie won the People's Choice Awards at TIFF. Not surprising. A little bit of a sleeper film. Yeah, kind of came out of nowhere this week. Beat out The Holdovers and The Boy and the Heron for the People's Choice Award. That was number two and three. Uh, let me read you the last 10 years of TIFF People's Choice Award winners. Last year, The Fablemans. The year before that, Belfast, Nick's favorite movie. <laughs> Nomadland. Oh, no. Jojo Rabbit. Oh, I see where this is going. Green Book. <laughs> Green Book one. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. La La Land. Room. The Imitation Game. 12 Years a Slave. Silver Linings Playbook in 2012. You got to go all the way back to 2011. A Lebanese film called Where Do We Go Now won the People's Choice Award that year. But what I'm trying to say is the history of this award is littered with Best Picture winners, front runners, and at least nominees. Yes. You got to go all the way back to 2011 before you even get to a non-Best Picture nominee. And then even 2010 had The King's Speech, 2009 Precious, 2008 Slumdog Millionaire. Right. So uh, this movie's going to be an Oscar contender. That's Ab- what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not surprised by that at all. It's very, very funny. Yes, it is. It is a very funny movie with a very good Jeffrey Wright performance. And I kind of want him to be nominated for best actor more than I even want the movie to get nominated. I love seeing this. We've seen, a, I mean, it's a, I've always wanted Jeffrey Wright to have a leading role in a movie. That's like bigger than hold the dark. Yes. Uh, in the same way, I wanted Killian Murphy to star in a big movie that was bigger than, you know, just like Sunshine. Let character actors star in more movies. God, he's good. I love him so much. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, like film nerds have known for 15 years now that he's one of the great actors working, but feels like lately with all the Wes Anderson movies with this one. Now it kind of feels like he has found a groove and he's just like settling in. And I like, I'm so excited now for the next 10 years of Jeffrey Wright performances. Just another guy that like, if he's in the movie, it's instantly better. I just, he's so good in all the Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, like, he is. Like, oh my, this guy was born to do Wes Anderson dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and he headlines a really good cast here. Our boy Adam Brody is in this. Tracy Ellis Ross is in this. Sterling K. Brown. Who's really good in this. Is excellent. Excellent in this movie. Excellent in this movie. It's littered with great performances too, by the way. Your boy Keith David. Mm-hmm. Issa Rae. That's right. 
with, by the way, just a genuinely pretty biting piece of satire. I was like, okay, it's actually going for this. Well, my favorite part is that if this movie wins an Oscar, it is just the ultimate irony. Yes. Because the whole message of the movie is about <laughs> how, like, white people and white guilt are, like, giving the black story attention, undue attention almost. And it's made by a black filmmaker. Well, it, it, Perhaps- it simplifies the stories into, like, these very trite camps of like yeah, exactly gangster movie inner city urban movie or slavery movie or yeah right exactly like it's it, the movie is saying essentially you need to be a black writer rather than be a good writer in the, in this particular aspect exactly so, right yeah. and, and disguising it as like diversity and yeah right, right i love the movie guys it's it's one of my favorite movies of the year i thought it was fantastic uh, yeah uh, and you're 100 percent right nick and this has been reported on as well like the irony of this thing yeah. <laughs> getting a best picture nomination and maybe more you know after like fucking green book won this award a couple years ago it won the people's choice award you know like which is why they're all full of shit yeah I mean, that's really what this movie's about they're no all it, full of it's shit. amazing like yeah. it's a movie like you if you award it it's like yeah i agree with you but also like i'm proving the point uh right. you know, that you're yeah, it's like it's a, it's a movie impossible to hate and impossible to love yeah, at the same exactly. time. And I love movies like that that are like force you to contend with their nature almost, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I don't mean to imply that this movie doesn't deserve to be nominated because it absolutely does. It is excellent. Yeah. Yes. All the way through. So, but it doesn't need to be nominated, I guess, is the point. And yeah, it's I kind agree. of about how ridiculous these bodies are and chords ha- I think probably happy either way, maybe on principle and happy that it's not nominated, but also like saying like okay fuck yeah i got i got a nomination cool no yeah uh and another movie I, i'm gonna say this over and over again now but I, I, like i just had such a good time watching these movies in a packed house with this audience w- yeah with an audience that wanted to get it mm-hmm. and like we didn't always see movies that were perfectly executed but you could tell like the audience was there rooting for the movie to be good as opposed to your average like movie going audience that would doze off and chat with their neighbor midway through or maybe walk out and get snacks. Like these were attentive crowds that were listening carefully to every part of the movie. And this is one of those movies where like the feedback, the instantaneous feedback of like the genuine laughter, like this was a, this was a loud audience that we saw this thing with. Yeah. That was so fucking cool. And I can just like imagine Cord Jefferson being, you know, in the third row of this movie, listening to the reaction and like just on cloud nine. Oh, yeah. like, it was like one of those cool movie going experiences. Um, so like just on that level, one of the best times I had all week. I would agree. Even though like the viewing angle was kind of odd. We were in the balcony and it was like, okay, I'm like, <laughs> so I sat separately from you guys alone. I was in the mezzanine all the way in the right. So I was like in borderline obstructed seats. <laughs> Tremendous. See this movie. I think Amazon is distributing it but it might get a theatrical release too. And if you do get a chance to see it in a theater, go see it in a theater. It's it's quite good. Okay. Then the next morning was when you guys saw Nickelback. Is that right? You skipped. And then it was a normal family that afternoon. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a Korean adaptation of a Dutch novel. Jin Ho Her is the director of this thing. And it is a movie that is probably going to get compared to Parasite a lot in future reviews. And if it does sort of make a play for best foreign language film or whatever at the Oscars, you're going to hear a lot of comparisons just because it is a Korean movie, a family melodrama. 
I, I think we were talking about this afterwards and Adam mentioned it wasn't quite as satirical and politically minded as Parasite, but is a similar kind of morality tale yeah. about, you know, one event going horribly wrong and the family tearing apart at the seams. And, uh, yeah, the Koreans just know how to make movies better than us. I mean, that's just the bottom line. For me, it was this and one other movie. This, and even still, I'm kind of toiling away which one I liked more, but this was kind of amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. I loved it. I don't think I was quite as hot for it as you were, but mm-hmm. I was like, this is really fucking solid, and yeah. I could watch a movie like this every day for the rest of my life. Yeah. 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 Very dark. I'm not even sure I could call it a dark comedy, even though there were some laughy moments, but... Uh, I would say slightly less good than Parasite, though. That's uh, well, <laughs> Parasites. I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that too. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, ahead of the comparisons, I just want to put that. It's a pretty high bar there. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the things that came up in the Q and A's afterwards. Like, you know, just your average fucking moron journalist being like, "Yeah, this reminded me a lot of a little film called Parasite." I don't know if you heard of it a couple of years ago. Um, but was this the worst Q&A we stayed for? It wasn't great. So the I whole mean, cast made you... the trip. The lead four actors came out and there was a lot of translating. And the director, and, yeah. and the director and was the director, there as director, well. Yeah. yeah. And it's cool that they made the trip and it was cool to watch it with, you know, an audience that a lot of Koreans in the crowd, too, that were excited to see these actors. Mm-hmm. So that was cool. The problem with this Q&A was the one the translation barrier yeah it was really awkward and tough and uh i think i said a so i'm gonna say b <laughs> it was the horrible horrible questions one person was like why did you choose that restaurant and they were like because the restaurant let us film there <laughs> <laughs> like how did you decide on what clothes they should wear? It's like, well, his profession was doctor, so we had him wear a doctor's suit. Like, it was the worst questions. The Q&As were kind of underwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> like, in general. Like, like in you this- can kind of walk out, you know? Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't stay. If, if, if you're going to TIFF in the future, do not stay for a single Q&A. They fucking blow. Unless you really, really love the person speaking. Like, I would have stayed for all of Vigo. Yeah. And even his, though, like, it was cool just because, like, Vigo was there. Yeah. But- not the best questions the ever. The problem is nobody knows how to ask good questions. And I'm not blaming people. I'm just saying nobody in that audience is qualified to ask a question. Sure. Well, a lot of the questions, too, like if you're just kind of casually listening, you might say, like, oh, that's a question that sounded very good. But then when you say it back to yourself, it's like, oh, yeah, they're just asking why the fuck did you film in a restaurant? Yeah. Like you said, just, right. yeah. that's all it was. I think my other thing, too, is like I generally don't want to know the answers to open ended questions. Like there was a shot at the beginning of the movie that was like a, a one-er that I don't know if they did it with a stuntman or CGI or whatever, but it involved a, a pretty harrowing car accident. Mm-hmm. And I turned to Adam afterwards and I'm like, that was a fucking awesome shot. I wonder how they got that. And maybe the answer to that question is five words long. Yes. But like, that is what I'm actually interested in knowing. What I'm not interested in knowing is like, what were you thinking on this day? Or like, what were you thinking when you got the script? Because those questions Although they lead to longer answers, they're not always interesting answers. Well, they're so subjective to the filmmaker, too. It's not like you're asking it almost as if it's about you when it's so specific to the guy who did the thing. So, And it's so fucking performative. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like it's always like, oh, you know, I, I was just so amazed at how this movie is about family. But you yeah. know? It's <laughs> People want a performance out of you when they're in, doing the Q&A. Right. So you're trying to satisfy that need. But the reality is how the sausage is made 
is not that interesting all the time. Also, we didn't see like the biggest net. Na- like we saw a Richard Linklater movie and he was long gone by mm-hmm. then. You know, we I, it was the last day. I yeah, guess. I know. We saw an Alexander Payne movie and he wasn't there. Like I would stick around for those guys. But if Fincher had decided to show his movie, you better believe I'm staying for that. Yeah. One. Fincher <laughs> doesn't have to put on any performance. Just talk, man. I know. Some guys are just good at it, yeah, though, man. Yeah. Some guys are just good at giving quotes. And Fincher's kind of known for it. He just he doesn't care. He doesn't like doing though so when he does he's always in a bit of a mood yeah and he's all he's always gives yeah. saucy answers it's, i really liked alien 3 whatever man yeah <laughs> it's like yeah we were listening to fincher q a's on the drive to toronto <laughs> it, was, it was great uh no, anyway uh normal family uh th- this woman kim he a played the older mother mm. in the movie the premise of the movie essentially is there's Two brothers, and they have their own families. One is a lawyer and is married to a much younger woman and has a daughter. And the other brother is a doctor married to an older woman. They have a son together. And there's a lot of, like, jealousy from the doctor's point of view towards the lawyer brother. And there is an incident that happens about 45 minutes into the movie involving the children. And there is this question of what do we do about it? And the performances by the four main leads are like across the board excellent and it really is a character study just like here's the situation watch how the characters react and that is it's a morality tale yeah well yeah the the lawyer is obviously like symbolic of like being the bad guy the doctor is the good guy i love the way they flip the character god mm, chef's kiss it was so excellent so good yeah and the ending another great ending yep we saw a couple really good endings and that was an awesome one this was a fantastic movie, guys. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then... Uh, no, that night we saw the Blue Jays. Yes. We were supposed to see Pain Hustlers. We sold our tickets to Pain Hustlers because oh. I heard not such great things about that movie. And then that morning was in Restless Dreams for us. Yeah. yeah. We saw the Blue Jays. Blue Jays uh, smoked the Red Sox. Yeah. Not a lot of offense in the game, but we saw Vlad Guerrero <laughs> hit a home run. That was yeah. cool. Yeah, their, their batting cage was malfunctioning, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did a batting cage. That was fun. <laughs> I have some video of the three of us swinging a baseball bat and I, I will never publish it. You fucked me up really bad. You press uh, the, the, the go button and I'm outside the cage. I'm like, wait, 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 what's going on? He pressed the go button when there's a lady who's meant to operate the machine. He just like stepped <laughs> in and started job, operating the machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. <laughs> All right. So we saw that that night. And then the next morning, all right, had a little, a couple, couple brewskis that night. You know, yeah, we so got we, a little randy that night. That was, yeah, I would say the the most drunk we got. A little lost was, in the sauce that evening, but it was fine. Uh, then the next morning, Adam and I woke up at eight a.m. Because thing is, you have to go to these movies a half hour ahead of time, yeah. or else they'll just give your seat away, which is kind of some fucking bullshit. I wonder if they would have though. We never ran into that, yeah. but yeah, they. They're very strict. You have to be there 15 minutes before the movie starts. Mm-hmm. And if you're not there sooner, you might get a bad seat. Yeah. So we get up at 8 a.m. And we go to see In Restless Dreams, the music of Paul Simon, which is an Alex Gibney documentary that is three and a half hours. Was it three and a half or four hours? Well, uh, maybe 345. It, it, was, it was pushing four. Yeah. Pushing four. <laughs> and Adam and I sat there basked in the glory of Paul Simon's illustrious career, learned way too much about the man. And it's an Alex Gibney doc. So, you know, not really known for his brevity. 
No. <laughs> I imagine this is getting released on HBO as a two-parter, although I don't know if that's officially been announced, but seems like that's what they're going for here. And Adam and I walked out of this movie and we're just like, you got five more hours? Yeah. You got any more? Got any more of that uh, rock doc? Like the tweaker that Dave Chappelle plays in that Chappelle show sketch? Dude, I mean, like from American fiction on, it was it was a lot, aside from like one that I liked but didn't necessarily love, it was just, really excellent movies just really good movies yeah yeah it's three three hours 40 minutes or whatever but man i didn't really feel it that much to be honest with you i thought it went by pretty quickly you and i have an abnormal patience for rock docs yeah 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 we we love this shit especially about like musicians that we're interested in we will sit there forever give me more info like the beatles doc like again i wanted 15 hours of that yeah like nine hours wasn't enough for me it's very easy to watch and it's made, it just made doubly easy when first of all you like the person that you're seeing but you know i it's another one of those instances where it's like oh i thought i knew the guy and then the movie tells you maybe you don't quite know the guy not a ton of talking heads interviews either it's mostly him i don't think there's really any talking heads i mean what interviews that you get are uh like voiceover right you get like a little bit of carrie fisher a few more of, of art garfunkel and so on and so forth and a lot of lord my Michaels in this movie. That was the funniest <laughs> thing about it by far. And I, I guess I knew that he helped set Carrie Fisher and Paul Simon up. And I knew like they were close because he's on SNL all the time. But yeah. you know, like it, a lot of this is told from the eyes of Lorne Michaels. No, I, th- I think this belongs in the SNL canon to be yeah. honest. <laughs> this is a Saturday Night Live movie. <laughs> it yeah. basically is. There's, there is way more than I was prepared for. And, I, and then I'm like, damn it, now it's Nico's movie. It's no longer my movie. <laughs> Fuck. But yeah. <laughs> but then it gets to Graceland and that kind of yeah. brings it back. Yeah. The Graceland stuff I thought was probably the weakest part, but that's also like the era that I'm least interested, interested in. in. Yeah. I'm way more interested in what's going on in New York City in the 70s. Oh, than yeah. I am no, me too. me too. With, you know, the, the apartheid, which is like important I, stuff, but like not really my wheelhouse. Well, I, I enjoyed it uh, tremendously personally, but it was, yeah, it's even then it's not quite the New York stuff. Adam said he enjoyed the apartheid, guys. Oh, gosh. Big fan of it. Yeah, yeah, big fan of, big fan of the apartheid. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. That's right. Big, big, fuck. Edit that out, you <laughs> asshole. Never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy they did not shy away from the Garfunkel feuds. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of impossible to avoid it. It would have been very disingenuous had they not. Yep talked about it but they don't sugarcoat it they're very clear like both these guys were kind of assholes to each other yes it's just another alex gibney solid four hours exploration of a subject great exploration of a subject great example of how the sausage is made kind of a movie there were some really cool Mm -hmm. little bits about how some of these great records were recorded yes some great stuff about bridge over trouble water and that detail that they tell you about is one of the best things in the movie yeah because it just like like reframes the song for you in such a great way i guess is is it possible to spoil the making of bridge over trouble water you can say what it was well you have to listen to the song though i mean there's a very very famous 
in that song. Yeah, the drums. The, the drums. Uh, at the that, last minute of the, the song. Yeah. That come in. And, and it's one of those things that as soon as you hear, you're like, wow, what a, what a great choice. But the movie. It's, it might be my favorite part of the track. Is sure. The drum beat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but the movie tells you that that was actually an accident. Yes. Uh, I forgot the name of the guy. He's essentially the, the third member of Art Garfunkel who, you know, did a lot of the mixing. But he discovered that mistake by just like screwing around and is like, wait, 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 that's perfect. I what can't. he did is he synchronized. There were two mixers in the studio. Yeah. And usually it's an eight track mixer. He decided, let's make it 16. Mm-hmm. And so he had the two mixers synchronized with one another, but there was some kind of error. So when the drums were being recorded, there was like an echo effect almost. Yes. And so the, the, at the end of Bridge Over Trouble Waters, there's a da, 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 and it becomes da, 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 da. It becomes that. Yep. And it gives the song like just such volume and yep. like it really it like fills the track it's mm-hmm. this thing that like you imagine you're hearing it like on a sunday during church service yeah and the way that it like echoes off the walls mm-hmm. and there's this majesty to it and it's like yeah that was a fucking mistake and yep. rather than fix the error they kept it in there and didn't touch it the rest is history and it's one of the great songs of all time i love that calls over pause like i gotta show you something yeah it's and like I- you hear what's happening here yeah you feel that <laughs> yeah uh so that was sick uh, paul simon i will say is not the most expressive interviewee his music is compelling but he is not compelling in the same way that like bob dylan is compelling and and that is part of the reason why he has such mass appeal is he's this very average guy telling very average stories in his songs oh and i well i exactly and i said that to you i think when we were walking out of the theater the difference between the two is like Bob Dylan is sort of always performing even when he's not on stage. And, you know, once once Paul Simon's done, he's just a guy. He's yes. The, the, the that fig- is the thing about this movie is he is a guy during yeah. all of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So not a, not the same mythical figure that Bob Dylan is yeah. in person, but the lyrics say otherwise or the writing says otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so that's that. That's in Restless Dreams. And great. 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 Adam great. and I are just like in our veins. Please. More. 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 Excellent. <laughs> it was so good. So good. Um. Then we saw One Life. Yes. Yes. Another directorial debut. James Hawes. James Hawes is the director of this movie. He's done a bunch of TV, but this is his first movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, apparently he directed all episodes of the first season of Slow Horses. Ooh. This is a solid turn from that. Yeah. <laughs> well. Did... Two Black Mirror episodes. Oh, so this guy's done stuff. He's done a lot, but this is his first movie. It definitely felt like a TV movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Anthony Hopkins stars as Nicholas Winton. And he is a guy that helped save a bunch of children from the Nazis during the Holocaust. A real hero. Mm-hmm. Although he does not play the younger version of himself during the war. He plays a much older version of himself looking back on those fateful years and uh, sharing his story with the world and this thing sort of climaxes at a uh, broadcast of a BBC it's, it's not really it's like a variety show we don't have a lot of those like here yeah. but it's like a a, a British kind of kind of not com- really a game show not really a talk show kind of somewhere in between yeah, well it comes off as almost like an Ellen and this is a real clip that I guess went viral, though I had not seen it, but I guess all of you had seen it. And the movie kind of just builds to this viral clip and it gives a story, gives some context to that clip. And it's fine. Yeah. I found the first hour to be fucking painfully slow, but it's fine. I think Nico's point, which was that 
the entire movie sort of rests on the emotional crux that is that clip, that viral clip. But you could just go watch that viral clip. Right. And get the exact same emotional release. Like, it's almost a cheat code for a movie because yep. it's such a powerful moment. And um, I knew what was coming about an hour, hour and a half into the movie, maybe hour into the movie, because I had seen the clip. That being said, I was sobbing throughout mm. the entire film, like sobbing. The like waterworks were never, flowing. Yeah. It was bad. It was I've never scene. cried so much. I've never <laughs> cried so much in a film. Literally, I would say 45 minutes to an hour of that movie was just me sobbing. Most people were affected by the movie. It did, it did play quite well. Most of the people we went to see it with were pretty affected by it as well. Yes. Um, a lot of sniffles. Yep, yep. I like the movie too. Don't get me wrong. It's not making my top 10 or anything like that. I agree with you, Nico, that like the first 40 minutes or so, something like that. Basically, everything before the Germans actually show up. It was struggling to get me. I'm like, there's a much better telling of this story out there. This is very safe and comfortable and, you know, it's okay. But it ended up kind of picking itself up when, you know, the threat actually came into play. Yeah, I guess like structuring the emotional climax around that clip, it's a weird kind of gimmick. I, I Like, I don't know. Like, it's kind of weird to be like, we're going to make the movie about the clip and not just show the story and situate the drama in that. I mean, there is some drama in the flashback. There is some conflict there, obviously. Yeah. It's about like fleeing from the Nazis. So there is like an innate drama there. But the movie doesn't really linger on that all that much. Well, it, well it's, it is weird because I think the express purpose, yeah, of the movie is what's the story behind that clip. Yes. Right, right. And I want that. I don't want that. You know, it's like, yeah, you, you could probably get more emotion out of just watching the clip, but then it's a little dismissive of the story entire. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. And, that, and, that's that's how I felt about it. It's and, like and that's problematic right. to me. Yeah, it felt manipulative. And it, and it also like it's that problem I always have, like with sports movies, too. It's like I am watching an event that is already prepackaged as an entertainment product. Yeah. yeah. And television broadcasts are the same way. It's like the lighting and the audience and the, it's like Slumdog Millionaire. It's a similar problem. It's like, I'm just watching a game show. And it's like, it's hard to make a staged event cinematic, you know? And I guess that was the problem with this clip. I, I don't know how they would have done it, but you almost needed to play that clip for like the closing text. It's like closing text comes on so-and-so and then you yeah. see the real footage and it's the sure. clip. Like that's almost what they needed to do. Yes. Uh but it's it's not bad. It's a very, you know, enjoyable little like kind of like Netflix movie that will get you. Yeah. I'm just sitting there being like, first of all, not enough Hopkins in it. That a lot was, of it is in flashback with Helena Bottom Carter kind of being the biggest name. Well, th this is my biggest issue with the movie is that like Hopkins is, you know, as good as he always is. He's good. He's uh, fine. But the the lead was I, I wasn't crazy about the Johnny Flynn. Yeah. Great name. Eh, not just, a great performance. He's just kind of yeah, just a guy. Just he does guy. his best to like <laughs> mimic the affectations of Hopkins. He does fine for that, right? Sure. And he's okay at that. I also think though, like Hopkins is great, but like more and more, I feel like I'm, and and it's obvious why, but more and more, I'm seeing him only play just very old, feeble men. Well, well, <laughs> I'm not sure he's got much more range than that at at nine or whatever he I, is. I, yeah. Like I said, it's obvious why, but it's really not exciting to watch. What do you think he should just retire at this point? No, I think he should put some snowballs on and play the fucking Blue Beetle. I think that's what. Oh Nick yeah, is there saying. we go. Show us some range, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying watching the guy like 
stumble from room to room. It's just kind of like, all right, man. It's a tearjerker, though. Yeah, I don't know. It made me cry harder than I've ever cried. Yeah, I guess that's that's that's, there's something to be said for that. Yes. Also wanted to speak about TIFF audiences for a second because I left the theater and I just went to you guys. I said, guys, I sobbed that entire film. (laughs) And there were these two bro dudes and they were like not judgmental at all. They were like, yeah, man, it's real (laughs) sad. Like, and I just want to say, like, that's that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it really is like if you've never gone to a film festival and you're into movies, this is the way to experience movies. It's like you're, you're chatting afterwards and it's, yeah. Yeah. They, they have this ad before where they're like, there's no audience, like a TIFF audience. Oh, we didn't even we, talk about the pre-roll. I was just about to say, it's the worst thing about the screening. We need to talk about the pre-roll. It was both the be- somehow the best and worst thing at the same time. It was very weird how conflicted I was. Well, we didn't know what we were getting into this. Yeah. Because we, we pull up on Wednesday, the festival had started the previous Thursday. Yep. So a lot of people there had been at it for a couple days now. I don't know if this is a thing that happens every year. I imagine they like filter out the pre-roll every year, but there's like a ritual. They developed a ritual <laughs> of like things that you yell at the screen, like the Rocky Horror Picture Show yep. during this, because it's 10 minutes of advertisements essentially before the movie starts. And it's the same right, for every movie, same right. order, same everything. And it gets old Really, really fast, guys. It gets old. I mean, but that's why you have to kind of entertain yourselves with like right, yeah, interactive stuff, right? Yeah. Because you can't. Some of these people are seeing thirty movies at this festival. But I mean, it got old halfway through the first go. Yeah, it, it was. It was. They're just not good previews, with the exception of one. There was one that was funny, but all in all, I'm just like, this stuff sucks. The TIFF audience ones were fine the first for time. the love of film. For the love of film. Uh, no, not that one. Not that one. That's the TIFF volunteers right oh yeah Blue right. Shirt. The, the ads where they have the actors and they're like oh my god is that a tiff audience those ones were funny those were the okay. first time yeah they just didn't have enough of them i think they needed to film like 12 of those it would have been nice and yeah. cycle them through because they only had two yeah sure. a, so you got one or the other it was a horror movie version and then a period piece uh, romance right. version. Yeah, 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 yeah. but every other ad was exactly the same every single fucking time and it was brutal the Bulgari ad was the worst oh, shit I've ever let's seen. talk about that one God, i hated it <laughs> so they got zendaya and anne hathaway to why, to why do that why those two are together i have no idea there's like a, a music beat underneath that everybody claps to and uh, i was clapping the first couple times and then by the end of the week i wasn't but that's just because i love those two women i yeah I guess, but the commercials fucking sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and it also just feels like it screams wrong audience. Quite fetching, though. Quite fetching. Sure. <laughs> what, what was the one that was really annoying? Oh, the uh, it was like some bank or something. RBC or something. It was the one where they had the film set. They're setting up this film oh, set. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Those aren't just credits on oh, the screen. Shut They're up. people. <laughs> but like meanwhile the film set they're setting up is like a single couch with a lamp right and like it looks a like a giant set. empty it's white just... studio and it's yeah, like what are you it looks filming? like casting couch it's fucking terrible yeah. <laughs> what are you getting ready to film i, I don't want to know your set a single couch right and a lamp <laughs> and then yeah and then they they show the piracy warning and everybody goes arr, arr. that was great which again that was fun the first couple times but I love when you hear everybody saying R different volumes, and then one guy in the back is just like, walk the plank. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> love it. it was fun bits. Everybody got to do bits. That's good. That was, that was cool. 
Oh, and okay, then that night, this is our final night. Again, a couple drinks in us, a couple bevies. Mm. We went to that Irish pub, and man, those were some healthy pours. It's a big pour. It's a big pour. It's going to be a big pour. It's going to be a big pour. That was a big pour. Traffic's good. It's going to be a big pour. (laughs) So just stuffed with poutine and french fries and fucking Irish beer, (laughs) we stumbled on into Hitman and... uh, Nick and I were just fucking levitating up. <laughs> like we were like running nude through the streets of Toronto <laughs> after this film. It was incredible. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that it is the best thing put to film. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> so good. It's f- it is my favorite movie of the festival. Oh my God. It is yeah, same, so fucking same. fun. When I go to the movies, there's a certain experience I want, and no movie at this film festival except for Hitman really nailed that. So you're saying this is the closest thing to Top Gun Maverick that you got? Yeah. 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 Speaking agree. of Glenn Powell, yeah. I'd agree with that. I would actually agree with that. It's a movie. It's yeah. a movie. It is it a was movie. the best movie we saw. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Not the best film was it the day we got home or the day after it was announced that they had deals with Netflix or whatever to buy it out? Which or? is, I guess, all right, it's going to be a thing. I think it's appropriate. Least. Although they didn't really do many favors to Richard Linklater's last movie, uh, Apollo 8.5 or whatever it was called. Do you see this as a movie that does well theatrically, though? Glenn Powell is not, I think people that know who he is have been waiting for this guy's breakout that mm. either saw him and Everybody Wants Some or more recently Top Gun. Like They knew that this guy had something in him. He had like a really good star making performance in him. So I don't know if you can really sell him. That might be the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I just think like this is a perfect movie to see with the crowd. I mean, the crowd absolutely loved this. Thing. Yes. Richard Linklater. This is the most I've liked a Linklater movie since before midnight. I think. Wow. Yeah. I don't like it as much as before midnight, but it might be my favorite. Yeah. Maybe it's my favorite since before midnight. Yeah. Glenn Powell's stars also co-wrote the script to this thing. And he co-stars with Adria Arjona. Arjona. Don't know how it's pronounced, but she is an absolute fucking revelation in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you said when we were walking out, this is the best Steven Soderbergh movie that Steven Soderbergh never made. Mm-hmm. And the first movie I thought it was out of sight because it is a similar kind of like cops and robbers forbidden romance but also like a super sexy fucking actor showcase yes and yeah i thought about j-lo and clooney in the trunk of the car i mean this is the hottest thing i've ever seen it's like so ridiculously fucking hot like it's crazy like i wasn't prepared for that to begin with but even there was no way i would have been prepared for it just because it's a a link later film and i don't really think of link later films in that way at all and he's also not known for like very taut thrillers either like he's made thrillers but this is the guy that made Days and Confused. This is the guy that made Slacker. Like yeah, exactly. he's not really known for like precise editing and a script that moves. It's all like, about looseness with his movies, generally right, speaking. And, right. And this is just so the opposite of that. It's very tightly constructed and, and rigid in a good way, and knows yeah. everywhere that it needs to be. I honestly, Loved this is going to be weird to say for a guy that's made thirty movies, but I didn't know he had a movie like this. In yeah. It. No, I agree with that. I yeah. do agree with that. Yeah. But it's also such a dark black comedy. Like we can't understate that part. The premise on paper is dark, but the tone is not dark. It's no, a very, it's a fun movie. It's a very, very fun, delightful. The last, like, the last moments. It's a fun movie with a very acerbic ending. Like, it's a bitter... <laughs> 
kind of in a funny way. Like it's definitely like going for dark comedy. It's not like meant to be bleak or anything, but it is like a really bitter aftertaste in a way that I loved. Again, like I'm not used to that in Linklater movies. Mm Mm-hmm. And it just ends with this, like, it's a punchline, but it's a great punchline. And it's like, oh, that's fucking wicked, dude. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I get it. Yeah. You know? But really, the story here is these two leads. There is a scene between the two of them. I, I don't want to get into the plot too much, but this is a undercover kind of cop. He's not an official police officer, but he, like, works with the police department posing as a hitman to catch people who are looking to assassinate, like, members of their family or whatever. Yeah. Glenn Powell plays this guy and he gets, you know, in this intricate romantic web caught in this web with Adria Arjona. And there's a scene between the two of them where they are being recorded and they have to communicate with just words on a phone. Yeah. And it's what you go to the movies for. It's Mm -hmm. like, that's why you play the fucking games, you know, like that's why you go. (laughs) This is what it's all for. It's like just sizzling, chemistry incredible dialogue and performance and it's physical and it's hot and it's funny and it's just but also like really dramatic and intense and oh god this movie rules well you said like but earlier too like like quiz ladies nico the movie no this is nico the movie <laughs> this is so much more your thing i was so f- well no this is what nico wants to watch as a movie oh, it's yeah, not yeah. about nico's oh, oh you're life. saying it, quiz ladies the embodiment of nico right oh, 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 oh i see i yeah. see Right. But I, I'm watching this and like Nico is fucking drooling as am I. But Nico is really drooling. There were a couple times where I'd like lifted myself off from the chair. Like I it was it really felt like I was flying. Like Glenn's really good in the movie. But this he's a, he's excellent. He's don't excellent. don't show, yeah, tell him short. Like he is amazing in this. He's, movie. he's excellent. But it's almost a shame that in a way that she's as good as she is, because it's like I, I forget how good he is because she's like. You can't take her eyes off. No, 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 no. She's the movie for me, guys. It's like the opposite of the Barbie movie in that way. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. Uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I agree with that. See this movie when it comes to a cell phone near you, I guess. Unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Find somebody who has a home theater. Yeah. Better yet, rent out your local theater. Help (laughs) your local theater not go out of business. Play this movie and just like open it to the public. I mean, there you go. Do your community a service. Yeah, that could be your Eagle Scout project or something if you're. Um, but yeah, coming soon to Netflix. <laughs> awesome movie. And then we wrapped up the week, right? We sent you on your merry way, Nick. Adam and I, before our eight-hour drive back, went to the holdovers, which is Alexander Payne reuniting with Paul Giamatti, first collaboration since Sideways. So obviously this was getting a lot of awards buzz as well leading up to this run of screenings. And uh, I mean, it's not as good as Sideways, but I, yeah, who cares? Is it good as Nebraska? No, it's not. I haven't seen Nebraska, but. But it's, uh, yeah, it's up there in the Alexander Payne canon for sure. It's quite high for me. It's my favorite movie of the year. It's really good. <laughs> this movie really blew my socks off. Yeah. I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it because, you know, I was I didn't know the state of Alexander Payne. I, I knew that you know, well, down, downsizing was just kind of whatever, but that was kind of it. Uh, whatever is putting it mildly. Yeah. I didn't see downsizing, but... Uh, he hasn't done good work in a while. I miss these kinds of movies. A good, it's a school movie, damn it. A classic... Yeah, it's an old school, just professor movie who uh, teaches... His student a couple things, and the student teaches him a couple things. Yep. <laughs> I love that. Okay, not reinventing the wheel, but... No. The real revelation in this, obviously Giamatti is just doing great work, and the, it's like, why is this guy not in every movie? 
You missed one of my favorite little bits of the, you were in the bathroom, but he's outside taking a stroll. He picks up a football, tries to throw it. It's like one of the funniest oh things. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just the worst throw I've ever seen. Not quite as bad as Zach Wilson, but it's, <laughs> but it was bad. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but the real revelation here for me is divine joy Randolph who plays the, the premise of this movie is that, it's a private boarding school, all boys boarding school. And during Christmas break, there are a few students that get left behind because their parents are not able to care for them over the break. And Paul Giamatti is tasked with babysitting them. And uh, Divine Joy Randolph plays the chef at this school, the lunch lady, I guess, who also lives on campus and is stuck there for the holidays without a family. And the bond that she's sort of grows with Giamatti and this kid Angus who's yeah. like the main character of this thing and her story is remarkable and she is great and that is the kind of character that if Alexander Payne made this movie 20 years ago would not be as big a part of it uh, no. as she is now no. and she is terrific yeah she was a, a, an enormous surprise I, I, I love you know I never heard of her never I don't believe I've seen her in anything else she has done a lot of TV she's in only murders in the building okay. and I'm like going through like she was in dolomite is my name okay oh, okay okay yeah she's you know but she's heartbreaking to watch in this movie Alexander Payne is back yes he is alert the media <laughs> Richard Linklater is back Sound the alarms. We're here. We're back. Movies are back. Movie, movies, you back. Look how often you say movies are back like 20 times. <laughs> Adam, you don't understand. Tom Cruise saved movies. How many times has Tom Cruise saved movies just this year alone? <laughs> a couple. A couple, yeah, times. a couple times already. How many movies on your list are worth watching? That's Adam, true. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie, I, I, saw, I saw it described. Um, somewhere as like getting beaten to death by a Cat Stevens album. <laughs> I, what the fuck? I guess that's not wrong, uh, sure. but I am definitely, it's, it's right up my wheelhouse. So like, it's one of those, like, how dare you say anything bad about this movie kind of movies. It's just too sweet and earnest and it's just heart is completely in the right place. Like when is there a point in this movie where it doesn't have you? Yeah. Such a beautiful movie. It's really gorgeous. Oh my God. Everyone's it's, it's great. A wonderful movie. Yeah. yeah. I'm so mad. I couldn't stay an extra day to see it. I really am. You would have like, liked it a lot too. I think you yeah. would have fucking loved it. I saw the trailer for the movie like months and months ago in my local theater. And I was like immediately like I'm in. See, I was the opposite. I saw the trailer. I said, no, fuck that. <laughs> I ain't seeing that bullshit. If Giamatti's in the movie, I'm in. I don't really give a fuck, dude. Giamatti's my... I love that Even guy. Planet of the Apes by Tim Burton, Nick. Yeah, dude, even Big Fat Liar. <laughs> <laughs> I am a Giamatti diehard. But Touché. that movie's like, what if Giamatti was blue? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's like great. what that movie was about. <laughs> dude, that movie rules. Frankie Muniz. No, honestly, prime. I realized, like, watching this movie, I'm like... Where has he been like for the last decade? And it's like, oh yeah, he's been stuck on fucking Showtime making billions for 10 years. And it's like he's on fucking Showtime Island or whatever. I've missed him. Mm -hmm. He hasn't had a meaty part like this in ages. So what do you got, kid? Listen up. Paul Giamatti. <laughs> but he's blue. <laughs> Here's my money. Take it. <laughs> Go make your movie, kid. 
Yeah, seriously, I'm in. Whatever, Giamatti, dude. I, I listen. If they made another Amazing Spider-Man, I would have been. <laughs> no. <laughs> Giamatti is the rhino. Are you fucking kidding me? Isn't it amazing that like one of our great character actors is just like my dream has been to play the rhino. (laughs) I have to, and then they give him like ten minutes of that movie and it's over. It's just like like a make a wish fucking thing of like there you go, kid. You got to play the rhino. Now go away. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) We're selling this back to Disney now. You're done. Oh Giamatti in that movie. Jesus Christ. He's kind of the best part. Best. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> Isn't he? It means he's the best part of a very excellent film, Adam. I mean, kinda. Dane DeHaan? You know where I rank that movie on my Spider-Man rankings. Yeah, that's fucking insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And that is Tiff. Anything else we missed? Any little tidbits and stuff? Like Rooftop Pool was cool. Rooftop Pool was nice. Loved that. Oh, we did see the Stallone art exhibit, by the way. Oh, yeah, that was nice. We saw some Stallone art. He had his paintings from like the 70s. It was okay. It was fine. There were a lot of them were of him, but, <laughs> you know, that's okay. Unsurprisingly. Yeah, just lots of Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> lots of Rocky. Yeah, you walk into this room on the third story of Like, it's by elevator, too. It's like hard to get to. And then you get in there and they're playing like Gonna Fly now. It's so speakers. funny. And it's like, here's Stallone's paintings through the years. Yeah, I would recommend going first weekend, not necessarily like paying for the premieres or the premium screenings or whatever, because plenty of people will show up for the Q&As later, but definitely get in the mix early. Mm -hmm. Um, But the great thing about this festival, unlike the other ones, like, you know, Venice or Cannes or whatever, from, from what I understand, is that this is going on concurrently with other stuff in the city. Like yeah. the Blue Jays were making a, a run at the playoffs at the moment. So like there was a lot of excitement about the yeah. Blue Jays and the restaurant scene is popping and everything. So like Tiff was kind of just going on while the city was still existing. Yeah. You know, there's n- not as much restriction, which was very nice. You could just kind of go at your leisure. Right. Yeah. And you can just buy individual tickets. You don't have to buy like packages or whatever or show credentials. You can just go. It was a lot. of Yeah. It made it so much more enjoyable. I loved it. Yeah. Very easy. Uh, all right. That's it. We love you. Bye. Bye.